Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Grace, mercy, and peace be with each and every one of you in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, If you would, open up a Bible to Mark chapter 3, that's on page 838 in the Pew Bibles. Might have to share with somebody today. Uh, So, Mark chapter 3. The lectionary that we follow uh, takes us through Uh, the Gospel of Mark for uh, the good portion of the summer and even into the fall. And so we're going to just follow Mark and uh, follow the words and the the deeds of Jesus through this Gospel. Um, You know, I kind of wish that we would have started on an easier text, maybe, possibly. Like maybe if we started with Jesus welcoming the little children or, you know, uh, like walking on water or something like that, but here we have this uh, really difficult passage in verse 28 through 30, speaking of this uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, this sin that never has forgiveness. Uh, It's it's not cheery stuff, right? Um, But this is one of the reasons why I like following a lectionary, why I like the church, you know, beyond Holy Cross giving to me what to preach, because that means I'm not going to preach just my hobby horses, right? And I'm not going to just talk about the things I want to talk about, but I'm going to follow the words of Jesus wherever they go. And we'll talk about what Jesus says, uh, whether it be uh, challenging or not. So I I thought we'd take a look at verses 28 through 30 because, you know, sometimes, you know, we read uh, a reading at church and we say, this is the gospel of the Lord, but everybody's confused and maybe some people are uncomfortable or maybe worried I'd rather have us talk through these three verses uh, while we're all here together rather than have you read this in the Bible on your own time and be like, I'm confused or startled or worried. But let's take a look at the text. It starts in verse 28, uh, chapter 3. It says, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is a word of Jesus that we get in other Gospels too. We read about this in Matthew chapter 12 and also Luke chapter 12. And it certainly makes our ears perk up as we wonder, is there a sin that has no forgiveness? Jesus says here pretty plainly the answer to that question is yes. So let's find out what this sin is. Now look first at the word, um, uh, the f- first at the word truly. That word truly in verse 28, uh, it comes from a Hebrew word that you know, uh, the word amen. That, that comes from a Hebrew word that means truly or certainly. And, and so when Jesus says amen or truly, He's telling you, listen to what I'm about to say because it's really important. If you weren't listening a few moments ago, listen right now. That's what Jesus says. So he says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Now, that's pretty generous, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we might have people in our lives who maybe we've like gone past the forgiveness limit, right? 
people who might not forgive us anymore, or maybe we withhold forgiveness from other people. But here we have Jesus sharing with us the rich generosity of our God. He, he says all sins will be forgiven, and not just all sins, but even the sin of blasphemy. Blasphemy means to speak harshly, to use abusive speech, to mock, to deride, in this case, the name of God. And so Jesus is being very generous. He, he's saying, you know, look at the whole text of Scripture. We, we have a God who has forgiven, say, David, who committed adultery and then murder. We have a, a God who, who forgives. Uh, later on, we'll see that Jesus will forgive Peter, who denied Jesus three times, right? So we have a God who is abundant in mercy. His, his desire is to forgive anyone who will receive His forgiveness. But then Jesus says that there is this one thing for which there is no forgiveness, and that is whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. Now, why is it that Jesus would say, uh, as He does in Matthew's gospel, that people may even blasphemy against the Son of God and receive forgiveness, but not receive forgiveness if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that, like, uh, the Holy Spirit is just so much more important than Jesus or the Father? No, it's not what it's saying. But rather, Jesus is talking about the office or the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is it that the Holy Spirit does? For those of you who've gone through confirmation, think back. Maybe it was a year ago, maybe three years ago, maybe 30 years ago. Think back to Luther's small catechism. Uh, we just confessed in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, we say, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ or come to Him. But what? The Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. And so, really, the work of the Holy Spirit is to call you to Jesus, to introduce you to Jesus, really to bring you into the arms of Christ and keep you there in His mercy until the very end. So, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is working to call us to Jesus and keep us with Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. And so, I think that can help us understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is is that it is a deliberate rejection, a continual rejection of His witness and His work in our lives. Let's look at the context a little bit here. I think it will help us understand that even more. Of course, when we read Scripture, if we run into something we don't understand, we always want to see what else Scripture says, especially in the immediate context. Well, the, uh, the context here that we read is in Mark's gospel, Jesus' ministry has exploded with popularity. People are flocking to Jesus. And in fact, in chapter 2, uh, there's so many people packed in to listen to Jesus that people can't even get to the door. That's that story where somebody has to cut a hole in the roof, right, to, to, to bring somebody to Jesus to be healed. Once again, we have a similar situa situation uh, in verse 20, then He went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. The ministry of Jesus is immensely popular, but as people are flocking to Jesus, they are beginning to divide into different opinions of who, in fact, Jesus is. Now, you have that inner circle of Jesus' disciples who are sitting at His feet and learning His teaching with great earnestness. They don't completely understand who Jesus is. They don't understand the crucifixion and resurrection yet, but yet Jesus looks at them and says, these are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. 
This is my true family, these disciples of mine. But then we also have those who are standing on the outside of the house. Surprisingly, it's amazing the Gospels even report this to us, uh, they tell us that Jesus' mother and his brothers and his sisters, his relatives, are standing outside trying to find Jesus, and they're basically trying to have an intervention. They think that maybe Jesus has lost it, and they're trying to intervene and take him by force back home so he can get well again. They think that maybe he's crazy. But we get another opinion about Jesus um, that comes from the scribes. Look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Now, this is a very serious thing because the scribes, if anybody should know that Jesus is the Christ, it should be the scribes because these were the professional Bible guys. They studied the, the Hebrew Bible day and night. And they knew the text of Scripture. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. But then the Messiah comes and he's doing these, these marvelous works by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they say, oh, that's of Satan. How blind, right? How hard of heart, right? That God's salvation was right there in front of their eyes, and they said, oh, that's the work of Satan. And so to that blindness and to that hardness of heart, basically to them calling darkness light and light darkness, Jesus speaks these startling words. He says, uh, he warns them about this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that never has forgiveness. Notice in verse 3 it says, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So what is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I would describe it as this. When somebody very ob obviously knows the truth of God, they're hearing God's Word, they're being presented with the message of the gospel, and maybe they've even claimed to believe it. They say, this is, this is what I believe. They're, they're professing Christian faith. God is giving to them this gift of salvation, and they do this kind of thing to God's hand. They say, I don't want it. And God says, it's for you. I don't want it. And God says, no, but for real, this is for you. I gave my son for you. He loves you. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And, and it's this resistance and this rejection of, of the person and work of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is giving to us continually, completely, to the point that somebody sadly could resist to the point that they are hardened in their heart. We have this language in the Old Testament, for example, of Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh who enslaved God's people, and Moses says, let my people go, and, and Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. Why would I? And if you read that story carefully, you'll see that Pharaoh hardens his heart. He sees a, a mighty miracle of God, and then he hardens his heart. He sees a mighty miracle of God. He hardens his heart again and again and again. And there's a point in the story where it actually says that God hardened his heart, which basically means that God said, you can have what you want, that God does Pharaoh the justice of saying, if, if you don't want me, if you don't want to hear my words, then I'll, I'll give you what you're asking for persistently, and that is a hardened heart that resists God. And so I would say that this uh, blasphemy of, this Holy, of the Holy Spirit, this eternal sin, is a hardening of the heart against the words of Jesus, against the person and the work of Jesus, continually, somebody just persisting in this, swatting away God's hand continually to the point where finally 
you know, God says, thy will be done. Uh, this is what uh, C.S. Lewis, for example, said there's two types of people, people who say to God, thy will be done, and then people to whom God says, thy will be done. I'll, I'll give you what you want. Um, now, of course, many Christians will really tremble at these verses and they'll ask, is that me? Have I done that? Maybe you're reading the, the, hearing the gospel reading today and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, is that me? I hope I didn't do that. Especially Christians who are very sensitive in conscience. Uh, some of us should pay a lot more attention to the work of sin in our lives, right? But some of us obsess. It's kind of like when you get on a WebMD because you got a headache and then 10 minutes later you've self-diagnosed yourself as terminal, you've got a month to live, when really you just have a headache. And, and you know, some Christians, as they go through the, the daily struggle with sin and temptation, they may begin to kind of cycle downward and just begin to think like, oh my goodness, maybe I've, I, I've rejected God, maybe I'm beyond the point of forgiveness. And what I want you to hear today, especially if you're that person, is to know this, is that if you are the, the least bit concerned about having crossed this line, if you're the least bit concerned about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, that's clear evidence that you haven't. Because only one who has the Holy Spirit working in their hearts would be concerned about sin or Jesus or even asking the question, is that me? Somebody who has crossed this line would not even be concerned to listen to the words that I'm speaking right now. I would say, I don't really care. I don't need Jesus. This is not something that you can do accidentally. It's not something that, that uh, even just a, simply a word that you'd speak and then regret. It, it, it's not like that. It's this, it's, this, it's this path that somebody goes on where they're continually hardening themselves again and again and again uh, to the point where they become solidified in that unbelief. Of course, then, this brings up questions, I think, for maybe people in our families or maybe relatives or friends that we have. We, we, we know people who've been professing Christians, but then they depart from the faith, and sometimes very vocally, sometimes in a very ugly way, um, and we may wonder, is that this person? <clears throat> My encouragement to you is that we should never give up hope on anyone. Because we know that we have a God who's able to reach out and bring back to Himself anyone. So as far as we concern, we're concerned, from where we sit, everybody is within uh, God's reach, right? Um, you know, sometimes I think we don't think enough about the spiritual condition of our relatives. We might just kind of say, oh, that person, yeah, they don't really care about Jesus or the church, but they believe in God. They're a pretty good person. I'm sure they're fine. Well, we, we should be more concerned, right? Um, we shouldn't lull ourselves to sleep and, and think that people are okay when they're not. But nevertheless, we need to remember that we have a God who is at His heart gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate and slow to anger. We need to remember that the Scripture is full of stories of lost coins that are found of lost sheep that are brought back home, of even a, a lost son who burns every bridge he has with his father, and then how did that, does that story end? With that son in the arms of his father, right? We need to remember that a third of the New Testament was written by Paul, who formerly known as Saul, 
likely would have stood with the scribes and said that Jesus' work is of Satan and not of the Spirit, and yet God reached out and grabbed Saul and brought him into his family. We never lose hope. We continue to pray and bear witness. But then the final question I want to address is this, is that, okay, we've heard what the sin is and, and we've been given the assurance that, that we haven't committed this because we're hearing the words of Jesus and, 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 we're, and we, we want Him to be working in our lives. But with all that said, should I be concerned about the possibility of this happening to me? And my answer to that would be both yes and no. You know, recently, um, I'm not really on social media, but, you know, sometimes I just hear about social media posts or, you know, sometimes uh, on the internet I'll see uh, uh, different posts and things like that. Uh, and one of these themes I've kind of seen is these uh, deconversion stories. As Christians, we all know conversion stories. You have people who were, you know, against God, maybe they were an atheist or they just hated God and then God brought them into the Christian faith. Sometimes they become very, very vocal about defending that faith and teaching it. Um, but uh, recently I've, I've been hearing a string of what we call deconversion stories. These would be people who professed Christian faith. Maybe they were kind of high profile in the Christian world, maybe as a musician or maybe as like a, a teacher or even a pastor. And then sadly, they announce that they just say, I'm not Christian anymore, right? That's pretty painful and unsettling, especially if you've ever worshiped with somebody, somebody sat next to you in a pew and has departed from the faith. I can think of people that maybe I went to high school with and that I worshiped with who just said, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Um, and not even just that, <clears throat> that I'm questioning or that I'm confused or that I'm searching, but just I don't care. Sometimes with these deconversion stories, you, you kind of see it coming. You know, you might have somebody who's, who's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking this, this biblical doctrine. I'm trying to redefine the Scripture on this point of church teaching for 2,000 years. Or, or maybe I'm kind of deconstructing my faith and what it means to trust Jesus and who Jesus is. And then it turns into, you know, I don't even really need a church community. I can just find Jesus in my heart. And, and then it turns into, uh, I don't even know who Jesus is. And then eventually we're not even talking about God anymore. We're talking about the universe or good vibes and stuff like that. Um, now, ultimately, only God knows a person's heart. And certainly God can reach out and turn somebody back to Himself. But I think that hearing a deconversion story certainly creates within us a sense of humility. Because if somebody else could fall away, then why wouldn't I? makes me think of that hymn that we sing, and I love the honesty of this stanza in the hymn, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. If you know that hymn, you, you know this stanza, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Those are honest words, but if you're a Christian, you feel this, you know this, you live this on a daily basis sometimes as you live uh, within maybe your school or your workplace or your family even, where there's great pressure on you to, to, to cut corners on your faith and, and, and give up what you believe. There's this pressure from the world and from the sinful nature and from Satan himself to let go of faith in Christ, prone to wander, uh, prone to leave the God I love. 
So it should be something that we should have a concern about. Really, it creates humility in us, in us recognizing that if it's not for the Holy Spirit, we won't make it to the end. That if the Holy Spirit were to lift His finger off of us for a moment, we would be gone. It's only the Holy Spirit that keeps us and preserves us in the faith. That creates great humility, that we have no trust and no confidence in ourselves whatsoever. To illustrate this, uh, I'm reminded of when I used to go hiking with my boys in Connecticut. Now, hiking in Connecticut is a lot different than hiking in Nebraska for a couple reasons. Uh, But uh, hiking in uh, Nebraska, I really don't have any fear that my kids are going to like you like fall over a cliff or anything. Like as I walk with them on the Yanny Park Trail, like the elevation is about a foot up and a foot down. That's about the most you're going to get. And so I'm really not worried about their safety as we're walking together. But um, I had this little booklet that were like uh, family hikes in Connecticut and New England. And so we were trying to cross these different hikes off. And some of them, while they said they were family hikes, they also had some kind of dangerous terrain where I had to say to my boys who, you know, if they're, they're kind of rambunctious and they're horsing around, like, boys, we're going by a part of the trail where if you joke around and you don't pay attention and you fall over, I don't think you're going to make it. Like, it's game over. Um, like, you kind of peek over the side and you're like, whew, be careful. Um, now, as I would hike with my boys, if we get to a point like that, I would, I would make them aware of it. I'd say, boys, I want you to see that boundary right there. Don't cross that line. Because if you cross that line, it, it's a long fall. So be aware of that. Now, I was being a good father, I think, in telling them about the boundary, but I, that boundary line didn't ruin the day. We still hiked together and had a good time, and it was good bonding. Because really what I said to my boys is I said, you know what, as long as you hold dad's hand, you're going to be fine. As long as you hold dad's hand and listen to his voice, you are going to be perfectly fine as we walk together and you don't have to fear that boundary. And I think it's the same way for us as Christians that, that yes, we have to be aware of this, uh, this falling away, you know, especially as we might see people who profess Christianity and then fall away from it. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that sin's never a neutral thing, that sin is always seeking to harden our heart against God. We have to be aware of that, but not in such a way that we would obsess over it because really we're on a journey with our Heavenly Father and He's leading us home. And He has those strong hands that hold on to our hands and we stay close to Him as we walk with Him. I think also, for example, about, you know, what do kids do when they get scared? Like little kids, like toddlers, what do they do when they get scared? Whether it be fireworks or a barking dog, what do they do? They run to the parent, they say, pick me up, and then they bury their face typically in your chest. And sometimes they rub their snotty nose all over your chest. You know, they kind of ruin your shirt for the day. But as a parent, you're glad to do that. You say, come on up. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to speak words of assurance and love to you so you know that you're safe and you're okay. And so I would say as a church, when we read these really startling words of Jesus, we should take note of them. We should acknowledge that we shouldn't trust ourselves, that we're prone to wander. But we're going to run to our Savior Jesus and we're going to say, hey, pick us up. Pick me up, Lord. That's the complete opposite of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? 
pick me up, Jesus, and let me bury my face into your chest. And actually, Lord, could you just let me hold onto your hand and feel those nail scars? And as you press your face into Jesus' chest, you know what it is that he whispers to you? He whispers to you words like John chapter 10. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I give them eternal life and nothing can snatch them. No one can snatch them out of my hand and they will never perish. Or he speaks to you words like in John chapter 6, that the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Never. Even if we've wandered so far, even if we've cursed his name, he says, the one who comes to me, I'll never cast out. Or the, the comforting words of Romans 8 where, where the Apostle Paul says that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God given to us in Jesus Christ and that the God who gave us faith will complete that faith and bring it to the end. Or those words of uh, the epistle to the Hebrews where we hear those words, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And so people of God as the church, we take note of the boundary, right? We recognize we don't trust ourselves. We're prone to wander, right? But we ask Jesus to scoop us up in his arms and we press our faces deep into his chest, which I would say is basically why we come to church. Isn't that exactly what we're doing in church right now? Yes, we come to church to hear the full counsel of God's word and some of that word is going to be a warning. But really, the reason we gather as church is so we can come and we can put our fingers into the nail scars and press our faces deep into the chest of Jesus to hear those comforting words, especially as we come around the Lord's Supper today, as we hear about the Lord who gave His body and His blood for us so that we would never be lost. As Pastor Tim said, that wonderful Martin Luther quote, if you look inside yourself, how could you ever be saved? There's no hope. But if you look at Jesus, if you fix your eyes on the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, how could you ever be lost? So firmly does he hold us. Amen. Amen.